Welcome everybody again. We're about ready to uh, begin with our seminar this afternoon with Jim Burr. Jim Burr and his wife, Dieta, live in the mountains of Colorado. And uh, they have been married for 53 years, which means you were like, like 10 years old when you got married. Is that right? <laughs> now, Jim was born with a bad case of dyslexia, and so school was kind of difficult. But the Lord compensated for that with the gift of good mechanical skills. And about 35 years ago, Jim founded JMI Telescopes, which is recognized throughout the world for its achievements in telescope design and manufacturing. Having designed two telescopes for NASA as well as a line of giant binocular telescopes. Presently, Jim is trying to semi-retire. You know what that's like, some of you. Uh, in the early 1980s, Jim started his ministry entitled Heavens Declare Incorporated. And that's for the purpose of providing astronomy lectures with a biblical perspective. And so Jim speaks throughout the year doing camp meetings and uh, preaching in churches that don't have regular pastors. He does weeks of prayer in some academies. He's also been invited to preach numerous non-Seventh-day non Adventist churches and has traveled to many countries doing over 125 programs on 3ABN, LLBN, and 3ABN Russia. And so, Jim, we welcome you to share with us the beauties of God's creation. Well, it's good to be here. They uh, reserved this three years ago. And uh, so it's, uh, it's always exciting. We speak all the time, but still, still exciting. Happy to be here to share the heavens. And uh, you're looking at a beautiful picture, but nobody knows what it is. <laughs> it's a very unusual object in our Milky Way galaxy. And uh, they've given it a name. I mean, they don't have given, they've given it a designation, VA38. And what's unusual, it's not an exploding star, which we see, but it seems like a, uh, it's been illuminated. In fact, the next picture, you actually see how it has changed. From 2002 to 2004, it's actually gotten brighter and bigger and so forth. And uh, so we're going to uh, get in here in just a moment. Let me pray. Father, we need your Holy Spirit, Lord, to guide our words, our thoughts, our minds. So bless our hearts, Lord, with your heavens and uh, our theme, homesick for heaven, Lord. We pray that this could be touch each heart here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just a little bit of, of background. Uh, we would, I would call this astronomy a la carte. Because we've done so many television programs, there's little tidbits from these programs I'd like to share with you. So if I make a left turn, hopefully you can follow because we may be talking about DNA or we may be talking about the, the, the galaxies. Uh, so I'd say astronomy a la carte is what we'd call this. Can anybody read what's on the screen? Hey, you got it. Hello, South Carolina. That's written with galaxy letters. You can go to Galaxy Zoo, and we have 100, 200 billion galaxies, and they have all different shapes, and they've made them into the letters of the alphabet. If you don't like the letter, you can write letters to your friends with, with the, the galaxy letters. If you don't like it, you just click on it. It'll give you a new series of galaxies, but that 
is written with galaxy alphabets, so it says, hello, South Carolina. Uh, we live in the 7,000 foot mountains of Colorado where we had snow last week. You're looking at five feet of global warming. And uh, we have living in the mountains, we have uh, all kinds of animals. The elk keep our front lawn mowed. You can actually walk out the door and talk to them within 20 feet. They, they like the grass and they, they're not afraid. Well, the neighbor said he's going to put a salt lick in the garage and when they go in, close the door, you know. And uh, we even have some deer that occasionally you can feed uh, by hand. They love carrots and apples. A little squirrel, beautiful little squirrels come. And uh, foxes, and occasionally we even get a bear. And uh, this is a line of binocular telescopes I designed. And uh, so you can use both eyes. This has never been done on planet Earth before. We have patents on it. But you actually look down into it like this lady's doing. So you look down into the telescope and look behind you. A light comes in over your shoulders. You see there's a, it's got handlebars kind of across between a Harley and a telescope there. And, uh, and so this would be a six inch on the right. You got a six inch and, and then a 10 inch and then a, a 16 inch telescope. And then we did two of these for NASA for the Mars Science Lab which later became the Mars Curiosity. This is the biggest telescope I've designed on a four-wheel trailer, and that's up in New York. A few pictures for the kids this afternoon. Kids, you ever look at the sky and see a cloud that looks like a poodle with uh, sunglasses on? Or maybe a red snapper fish? Or a rabbit? Or maybe a, well, there's an angel. And here's a big bird. Well, when we look through telescopes, we see things that look like spaghetti. This is called the Spaghetti Nebula. And we have, I put together 275 pictures for the Michigan Conference. They wanted to teach adventurers, little, uh, you know, nine-year-old kids astronomy, and they said, help us. So I flew up to Osaba, did a lecture for the leadership, and then we sent them, I have 275 pictures like this um, on DVDs, so 50 different clubs up there approximately. And my suggestion was every meeting and assign like the Spaghetti Nebula to Bill. You go home, next meeting, tell us everything you can learn about the mountains of creation or the uh, happy face on Mars <laughs> or the Ant Nebula. Nebula is simply a word for cloud. Um, we have four basic type of nebulae in the sky. We have nebula glow because they're hot. We have nebula glow because they're embedded with hot stars. We have nebula that are dark, like the horse head you'll see in a moment. And uh, then we have exploding stars, which appear. What we think is some stars are so big, they expand, burn up their fuel, get bigger and bigger and bigger, but like a balloon, they pop. And we call that a, 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 a nova, supernova. So four basic type of nebula. Just think of cloud. This is the ant nebula. And here's the butterfly wing nebula. And that is unusual because that has exploded because we have a very intense magnetic field in the center which would cause these uh, gas clouds to go out like the Van Allen belts around our Earth. We have the magnetic field of the Earth. It creates Van Allen belts which protect us, protect us from the sun, the solar wind. And we have uh, the Sombrero galaxy. This is. Uh, uh, 31 million light years away and has a dark lane. We're looking kind of at the edge of the Sombrero galaxy. And here's Tiger Woods wanted to get a hole in one. Here's a hole in one on the moon. <laughs> and uh, North America, but here's the North American nebula. There's Denver where my wife and I live. There you see Mexico, 
Florida, there's New York, the Hudson Bay right up there, and here is Charleston. <laughs> you can probably see that little dot there in front of the, well, somewhere there, okay. Uh, here's a Chevy Nova, here's a Supernova. <laughs> and here's a Supernova in the sky. Now, I'm not going to do all 275 pictures for you today. I want to give you a little feeling of a few, few of the pictures, okay? Now, that's this exploding star. Here's a beautiful, beautiful seahorse. Here's another seahorse. <laughs> but here's the Horsehead Nebula in Orion. We're going to talk about this here in a moment. This is huge. This thing is absolutely huge. Uh, it's a dust cloud. It's all interstellar dust. It's blocking the light from what's behind it. And uh, so one more, the jewel box. Looking in our Milky Way galaxy, we see this beautiful star cluster. Is that gorgeous? Called the jewel box. Just gorgeous stars. Now that's a globular, that's an, that's an open cluster. We have globs where you'll be, you'll be sailing like 10 million stars in one cluster or the Hubble zoomed into. This would be hundreds of stars. Like the Pleiades is actually seven sisters, but we got about 500 stars in the, in the Pleiades. And uh, we have any kids here today? I don't see any kids. I was going to sing the song. When he cometh, I usually do this for children's story. Let's try to sing it. Okay, just a short chorus. When he cometh, when he cometh to make up his jewels, all his jewels, precious jewels, his loved and his own. Like the stars of the morning, his bright crown adorning, they shall shine in their beauty, bright gems for his crown. He will gather, he will gather the gems for his kingdom, all the pure ones, all the bright ones, his loved and his own. Like the stars of the morning, his bright crown adorning, they shall shine in their beauty, bright gems for his crown. Little children, little children, who love their Redeemer, are the praise, precious jewels, his loved and his own. Like the stars of the morning, his bright crown adorning, they shall shine in their beauty, bright gems for his crown. I think I started that a little bit high. <laughs> Going back to the horse head. That thing is absolutely huge. It takes from the bottom of that neck to the top, it's 30 trillion. It takes five years for a flash of lightning to cover the neck of that horse. Now, that's all dust, interstellar dust. The New Jerusalem is the city of light. Do you think God would have to cover that city up? I believe it's a real city. I believe it's bright. It says the Bible tells us there's no need of sun or moon there because God is the light. The Bible tells us it comes down from God out of heaven. I believe what the Bible says. Would he have to cover that up? Yeah. Well, guess what we found, okay? Uh, and there it is, Revelation 22. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God is the light, and the lamp is, lamp is the light. Now, God covered his glory in the Old Testament. 
Time, eight times he covers his glory. He covers his brightness. And let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended in, in on, a, on it in a fire. The smoke billowed up like a smoke from a furnace. And then God said to Moses, Lo, I come to you in a thick cloud. We have found a thick cloud that might just blow you away. It's part of the horsehead nebula. It's below this. This is... This is just a little tiny speck of this thick cloud. To give you an idea, we could put, that's like 800 billion miles across the bridal area. We could put our sun, all the planets, 100 times would fit across that area. About 800 billion miles. So that, that is really huge. Now, in the next picture, you're not even going to see the horse head. We're going to zoom, 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 zoom way back. And I don't think you can see the. You know where the horse head is? It's there on the screen, right there, where the arrow is. That's the horse head. That's how far we zoom back. You with me? Look at the light coming out from behind this cloud. This is called Barnard's Loop. This whole area is called. There's a big thick cloud here. We're going to zoom in on. Right there, and you see the horse is just part of that thick cloud. Look what astronomers, you know what astronomers are saying? This blew me away as I was, it's called Barnard's Loop. You can look up Barnard's Loop, but look at what astronomers are saying. The dark clouds of dust, which are simply blocking the light from whatever is behind it. Astronomers are going, we don't know what's behind it. Whatever it is, the clouds are blocking the light. You think we're onto something? Maybe? It's in Orion, okay, and look at here. It's at the equator where every eye would see it. Now, we can't see this stuff. When I go to Australia, uh, we can't see the Big Dipper in the, the, uh, Northern, or the Northern Cross. We can't see Viagra Vega and Lyra and all the things. Uh, we can't see the, from here, we can't see the Southern Cross and, and, and Argonavis and some of the constellations they have, but at the equator, everybody on planet Earth could see it. So that goes along with Matthew 24. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall the also the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24, 27. You think? Maybe? Could that be? <laughs> you know, my mom lived to be a... My mom just passed 100... Well, at 104 years of age. If she started driving and she drove a thousand miles a day every day of her life, how far would she get on that screen? About as far as this little green dot. That's about as far as you'd get. If you were going to start driving and you drove a thousand miles a day, it would take you a thousand sextillion years to drive across that cloud. A flash of lightning at the bottom would take 300 years to see it at the top. So this cloud is big. And I'm looking at it, I'm going, you know what? That could be it, huh? But it's fun to think about it. Now, it's located, the horse head, now here's the constellation of Orion, and the horse head is located right here, and the Great Nebula is down here. We're going to be looking at both of these, well, at the uh, Great Nebula on the right. So there's a, this is like a stick figure. You, uh, a constellation is like a stick figure. You can make a, a, a stick figure like a man. He's got shoulders, got a belt, got feet, and so forth. And so that is the constellation of Orion. But in the constellation, we have these two nebulae, the Horsehead Nebula and the Great Nebula over here. Okay, I guess I already mentioned that. Uh, this is kind of an opening here where most... Ellen White said, we're going to talk about Ellen White a little bit. She said there's an opening, the New Jerusalem comes through the opening in Orion, and most 
HMS Richards, most people felt this is the area right over here. It's about 15, 19 trillion miles this way, 55 trillion miles the other way. And that's, we have just zoomed in on this little dark area right there. We'll see that. And here's another, uh, right below that, an interesting object. It doesn't have a name. It's just a dark cloud. Uh, we can't look at interstellar dust. It's basically, it's just got a designation, NGC 1999 is a designation. Now, something interesting, this is the first picture of Ryan taken in 1880. This is the first picture of 1880 of Orion. But by 1883, the cameras, the film, something had improved a whole bunch. And this was the picture of Orion in 1883. And I got a feeling that this was a front page talk of the town, a newspaper. Read all about it. Look at what our astronomer, look at the picture we're getting. I mean, this, they didn't have pictures of space in those days. And this would have been people all over the town would, be, I think, would be talking. Did you see the paper today? <laughs> you know, right? And we have evidence, I'm going to prove it to you, that Ellen White was taken in vision, had seen heaven. If, uh, if everybody in town was talking about this and she'd seen this, what would she say? If she's seen a vision of this and all the people are going, wow, this is really something, what would you say? She goes, oh, oh for language. Oh, okay, uh, I got my slides confused up here. Okay, it's coming up. What the world? <laughs> Something's happened, folks. I'll tell you what she says. Okay, here it is, I'm sorry. I must just have clicked ahead. Okay, so here's what she said. Oh, for language to express the glory of the bright world to come. Oh, I wish I had language. I wish I had language. You guys are talking about that. I wish I had language. She says, I long to be there and behold my lovely Jesus who gave his life for me and be changed into his glorious image. I begged my attending angel to let me remain in that place. Oh, please, please. As she was in vision. She saw heaven. She said, I could not bear the thought of coming back to this dark world again. I think she was homesick for heaven. What do you think? There's a place of indescribable, one thing she said, there's a place of indescribable beauty whence cometh the voice of God. And that certainly is this indescribable beauty, isn't it? Here is the, uh, this is the Rosette Nebula. Now this is one picture, it's not true color. I think everything else today you see would be true color. This, I mean, this is really true, this is accurate color. I've photographed it myself, it's perfect uh, color. It's not doctored at all. This picture for research, a lot of times they'll want to find what gases are present, hydrogen, helium, you know, oxygen. And so they'll put a filter on the telescope, this will be an oxygen three filter, and they'll assign that a color. Then they put a nitrogen two or hydrogen alpha filter, that's blue, green, red. And this picture is totally wrong, okay? It's called the Rosette, and it's pretty red, actually, the Rosette Nebula. But uh, what you see here is not true. But what if, I think uh, everything else we got today is going to be a true color. But I thought it was interesting what Ellen White says about heaven. There the grandest enterprises may be carried forward. What would be the grandest, if you had the time and the resources, what would be your grandest enterprise? would be carried forward if you had the time. The loftiest aspiration to reach. What would be your loftiest aspiration if you had the time and the resources? In heaven, you're going to get to do that. The loftiest aspiration, the highest ambitions are realized. I, again, I think 
We see this. We're homesick for heaven, aren't we? And still there will arise new heights to surmount, new wonders to admire, new truths to comprehend, fresh objects to call forth the powers of mind and soul and body. This, I love this statement. The grandest there in heaven, the grandest enterprises can be carried forward, the loftiest aspirations reached, the highest ambitions realized, and still there will arise new heights to surmount, new wonders to admire, a new... Uh, Truths to comprehend, fresh objects to call forth the powers of mind, soul, and body. We have no idea. And Satan wants to keep us so occupied with this little ball of dirt we're on and so focused on all the things that keep us so busy. And look at here. You're going to get to walk and talk with Christ. Can you imagine? And we're to Emmaus, but can you imagine? You get all your questions. How many questions do you have for him? You get all your questions answered, right? The correct answers to it. And just think of all the people you'll be able to be friends with. We heard about Peter this morning. You could be living next door to Peter. Peter, tell us about what that was like when you denied Christ. He looked at you. What was going through your mind, Peter? Or Noah on the ark for seven days that didn't have been preaching 120 years and for seven days no rain, no rain, no rain, no rain, no rain. What was that like? What was going through your mind, Noah? Am I got this all wrong? Is it for a week and that didn't happen when he'd been telling it? You know, just think of all the people that you'll be able to be friends with. So yes, we're homesick for heaven. This is another statement. She says, let your imagination picture the home of the saved and remember that it will be more glorious than your brightest imaginations can portray. I cannot imagine anything better than this. I stayed there for a week, for ten, nine days. I was doing television shows at Loma Linda, and I said, you know, they don't pay me when I go out there. I, you know. And I thought, well, the hotel's going to get pretty expensive. So I called the president, Gannon, and I said, could you get a room for me, at least for part of the week? And he gave me this code. He says, go to this address and, and put it in this code as some doctor living up this mountain in Redlands. <laughs> and I punched in the code and drove up a half a mile with great big trees and fancy and stayed on the left side over here. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine anything better than that. And guess what? Ten days later, my wife and I were in Haiti, where the income is about $1.50 a day, where people who haven't eaten for three days eat mud cookies. The people of Haiti take clay, they mix it with salt and vegetable oil, and they put it in the sun, let the sun bake it. And if you have nothing in your stomach, they say it takes away the pain. Phil, we're with, we're with uh, Feed My Lambs Ministry out of Bermuda, Phil Regal, a friend of ours. Has, uh, uh, 63 orphans and 70, 700 academy kids there. Feed my lambs out of Bermuda. Amazing what he's done. And so I said to the manager, Kelly, I said, I only want one souvenir from Haiti, and that's some mud cookies to take home, a half a dozen mud cookies. I gave him $5. I said, go to the market and get me some cookies. He came back with 400 mud cookies. We got two cookie jars. They're not real big cookies. Two cookie jars full of mud cookies. <laughs> I didn't bring them with me. But the... Corruption there, and the poverty. These little kids, 63-year-old kids, have no parents. They were, parents were killed because of drugs, because of AIDS, 
murder and all this kind of stuff. 63 little kids. And when you go to those, those kids sit in your lap, they hug you. My wife was with you. They're sitting on their laps. All the kids can get on your lap at church and, and, and they, need to, they just need love. And uh, if you want to help out, you can put sponsor. He's got 700 kids in the academy from the city. They come in. They pay $3 a month to go to his school. <laughs> but it costs 255 if you want to help out. Feed my lambs. Be sure you get the one out of Bermuda. For 255 you can put a student in his academy. And they get complete uniform shoes, backpack, all supplies for a year, three meals a week. You can't give them a meal every The orphans get three a day. But the school kids, they get a hot meal Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, you, can, you can feed them for 69 cents. Anyway, we've got to get moving on. But I, 10 days after being in here, <laughs> I was in, in Port-au-Prince in Haiti. What a culture shock. But talking about heaven, how about a treehouse? Would that be cool? I had a pastor one time, a Baptist pastor, said to me, he said, you know, heaven's kind of spiritual. It's kind of spiritual. And I thought, well, spiritual, what? It's interesting because she addresses this. And she says, a fear of making the future inheritance seem too material has led many to spiritualize away the very truths which lead us to look upon it as our home. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, we don't know. But she says, we should not be totally ignorant. Those who accept the teaching of God's word will not be wholly ignorant concerning our heavenly bone. You see, it's not commercial. It's physical, but it's not commercial. We're not going to, we're going to build and inhabit. We're not going to build and sell. We're going to plant and we're going to eat. We're not going to, it's not commercial, but it is material. And you know something? God showed her a treehouse, I think. Look at this. I saw the most beautiful houses, plural, that had the appearance of silver supported with four pillars set with pearls most glorious to behold. Which were the inhabitants of the saints? She saw something like what you're looking at. And the Bible says heaven is a country. And when we were in Russia, and we saw these apartments going to the sky and the run down, needed painting, and we showed pictures of all the animals from the mountains of Colorado. And people said, oh, that would be heaven. That would be heaven. You see, they live in these congested apartments and don't get to see the wild. But the Bible says heaven is a, heaven is a country in Hebrews. And Satan has worked continually to cover up, eclipse, you know, you know what that is, to eclipse the glories of the future world. He, and to attract the whole attention of things of this life, he has striven to arrange matters that our thoughts, our anxieties, our labor might be so fully employed in temporal things that we should not see or realize the values of eternal realities. The world and its cares have too large a place, while Jesus and the heavenly things have altogether too small a share in our thoughts and our affections. We're going to head in a little different direction here. Here's Comet Hale-Bopp that we had 10, 12 years ago. And uh, here's Comet McNaught, the biggest, brightest comet I've ever seen. But you see, a comet leaves a lot of particles of dust behind it. The comet, of course, is over here behind the mountains. But you see the trail of dust. Now, the Earth is doing 66,000 miles an hour. What happens if the Earth crosses through an area like this? Uh, I thought we had new batteries in here. It looks well, we get, we get meteor shower, little particles at 66,000 miles an hour going around. These particles, because of the friction of the air, look like falling stars. And the one 
1833 was the most spectacular ever. They, I saw red farmers went out to see, they thought every star fell, there were none left, but like 100,000 an hour were coming down uh, from Comet, it was Temple Tuttle, and that comet, and uh, went out next day, their stars are all there, none were missing, because they were just particles of uh, uh, sand that were, uh, were glowing because of the friction there. Okay, it does us good to realize we are not the center of the universe. Here's Earth. <laughs> Compared to Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, uh, larger planets. And here it is, our Earth with, compared to our Sun. We can put a million Earths in the Sun. One million, I get the, get the idea there, okay? A million Earths in the sun. I'm gonna see if I can stick in some batteries while I talk here because uh, if the, my remote gets left on or doesn't get shut off completely, I think sometimes it's uh, gonna run the battery down and I should have, yeah, I got batteries here. And I think I can talk and do it at the same time. I like the pointer. A million Earths inside that ball. Somebody, I don't know who did that, but it's kind of cool thinking, you know, how big our Earth is compared to the ball being our sun. Okay. What's the value of one soul? How much is one soul value? It's interesting interesting what she says. One soul is of such value in comparison with it, worlds sink into insignificance. Worlds. Worlds sink into insignificance. Well, maybe my, that's no brighter, is it? Brand new batteries. Worlds think of the value of one soul. And that's what we're trying to do, reach souls, isn't it, for Jesus before he comes. And NASA's Kepler Planet Hunting Telescope, scientists think that there could be 50,000 million, in other words, 50 billion planets out there. Our sun is not the biggest one compared to some other stars. We see here Arcturus, we see Rigel, Aldebaran, Antares, Betelgeuse, a billion miles in diameter. Our sun is gone on the screen. See the little dot there? Compared to those planets, we can't even put a speck on the screen, say how big. Here's the biggest star we know about, Canis Majoris, 1.8 billion miles in diameter compared to our little sun. 1.8. People often say, well, it's, why would God be interested in us if our, if a million Earths will fit inside that little speck. Are you with me? <laughs> that Earth's pretty small, isn't it? If one billion, one million, excuse me, Earths would fit inside the sun, we're a million, our Earth is a million times smaller than that, and we're a speck on it, we're an atom on an atom. It's interesting, again, another statement. The Lord is disappointed when people place a low estimate upon themselves. He desires his chosen people to value themselves according to the price he has placed upon them. 
So, 2 Corinthians 9, thanks be to God for the unspeakable gift of his son. Now, here's an amazing picture of Saturn taken with a Cassini spacecraft. A Cassini spacecraft, well, it's a 12-ton. It's, it's like a school bus. We did not have a big enough rocket to get a school bus a billion miles away to Saturn, so we used the gravity of Venus. It shot towards Venus, picking up speed, the gravity of Venus. It whips around Venus. Mrs. Venus whips around Venus. They shoot it back to Earth. It's falling towards Earth faster and faster and faster. Then they shoot it off to Jupiter half a billion miles away, pick up the more speed, and they, it takes them seven years to get to Saturn. And, but they saved 75 ton of rocket fuel by using the gravity of Venus, Earth, Venus, Jupiter. 75 ton of rocket fuel because we don't have a big enough rocket. And then they fly it through the 2,500 mile window there, fire the rockets. The Cassini is in orbit about Saturn. Now the sun is, this picture is taken when, Saturn is, when the sun is right behind Saturn. Uh, Okay, and so we see the glowing, the sun rays. Here, see the little sun ray there, all the glow uh, lit from the back. It's a beautiful sight. Something very interesting. You are in the picture there. That in front of that arrow is the Earth from one billion miles away, and you're on it. Were you smiling when they took your picture? That's Earth from one billion. When I see that, you know what I think about. Satan came to Jesus and said, if you will fall down and worship me, I'll give you all of that. I don't think Jesus was impressed. <laughs> because the Bible says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. But something else very interesting here. And... Once again, some here may not know who Ellen White is. I'm going to give you a little bit of proof coming up real soon. But let's first of all show you something she said. She had gone to Australia on a ship. In the 1800s, going on a sailing on a ship to Australia, you're looking at probably close to two months, eight weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, with stops along the way. And then every day you looked out at a ship and all you could see was ocean. Every morning, every night, ocean, ocean, ocean for weeks and weeks and weeks. When you come home, what would you tell your friends? Man, I had no idea how big this earth was. I had no idea how far Australia was away. Right? That's what you'd be telling them, right? Oh, man, you got to go. You won't believe it. How big is an atom? She said this earth is a little atom. Look at what she says. If men could see for a moment beyond the range of finite vision, if they could catch a glimpse of the eternal, every mouth would be stopped in its boasting. Men living on this little atom of a world are finite. That's amazing, I think, because God had given her a better view, a bigger picture you're gonna see coming up. In this speck of a world, now she calls it a speck, I think of a fly speck on the window, right? The whole heavenly universe manifests the greatest picture for Christ has paid an infinite price for the souls of its inhabitants. I wanna show you a video clip. This is, this is the Hubble zooming in a deep field zoom through the galaxies. You're going to see a bazillion galaxies on screen here. The Hubble zooms in, zooms in, and reaches the limits. Then they put a new, oops, they put a new lens on and zoom in. They'd have four different levels of zooming here on this. And It's 
quite something to see. And what you're looking at is galaxies. There's, it's not, you don't even see the stars in our galaxy. It's the Hubble Zoom. These are galaxies. Every one of these little fuzzy patches is like, you know, hundred thousands of light years across. Taking a phone call, any one of those fuzzy patches. Uh, if you're on one side and you want to call on your phone to the other side, it's going to take you 50 to 100,000 years to get a phone call across those each fuzzy little patch. Typically, galaxies are 50,000 to 150,000 light years across. Here we're going into a new level. These are all galaxies, folks, on the screen. Galaxies. Hundreds of thousands, hundreds of uh, Millions of stars. Uh, our Milky Way, we think, maybe has 200 billion stars. A new level of zooming in. We're zooming in again, zooming in. I believe God gave her a vision of this kind of thing where she could say this earth is just a little. The atom is, you've got to need a microscope <laughs> to see an atom. She said this is a little atom. And here we're going to a new level of zoom. And do you know, she told us this space was unlimited. Space is unlimited. We did not know that. Seventy years before Edwin Hubble discovered that, she said space was unlimited. In 1929, Edwin Hubble published his work, work and changed forever our view of the universe. 1929. And at 1929, we thought the Milky Way was the universe. Prior to 1929, we didn't know there was anything else out there. Just the Milky Way. That was the universe. In 1920, and Edwin Hubble, with his 50-inch telescope, started studying, and he goes, you know what, there's, there's galaxies all over out here, and published his work in 1929, and the article says it changed forever our view of the universe because we no longer thought the Milky Way was the entire universe, and she said space was unlimited. She saw stuff you could only see through a microscope. She saw stuff you could only see through a telescope. She saw stuff we could only see through the Hubble 100 years before it happened, okay? Now, here's what the Bible says. I want to give you, for anybody who maybe doesn't know about her or know the proof of, of some of this, uh, I want to share just a couple things with you. Here's what the Bible says. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And if you read in Joel 2, Acts 2, it goes on, they will have dreams and visions. Notre Dame, Gene Dixon, you know, they use Ouija boards, they use the card reading, they use astrology, all this kind of stuff. But the Bible, if you take these scriptures, the Bible clearly says God uses dreams and visions. And this lady had 2,000 dreams, wrote over 100,000 pages. And here are just a couple of examples. God in his mercy showed Ellen White in 1864 that tobacco was the slow, insidious, watch that word, and most malignant poison. Here is an art article running. She said that in 1864, it was 90 years later, in 1957, the American Cancer Society concluded that smoking was a factor in lung cancer. This ad was running in 1954, and 113,000 doctors were asked, what cigarette do you smoke? And more named Camel as their smoke than any other cigarette. And they even let that, well, doctors prescribed smoking for tuberculosis. Oh, this warm smoke will be so good for your lungs. But 90 years later, I got pictures of an iron lung. And they're holding the cigarettes. A guy can smoke an iron lung. 
And then she talks about uh, X-ray. This was in 19, uh, I think the date is on here. This was uh, uh, 1905. X-ray came in the late 1800s and it was the rage. You could go to the circus, go to the fair for 25 cents. I wonder what my head looks like or my hands, get my body X-rayed. This was a rage. And here's what she said. I have been instructed that X-ray is not the great blessing that some suppose it to be. She didn't say, don't ever, 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 ever use it. She said, it's, if used unwisely, it could do much harm. So you see, God had revealed stuff. And God revealed to her this event that happened in 9-11. Um, it's kind of uncanny. Let me just, I got the book with me here. Testimonies, Volume 9, page 11. Here it is. You can read it with your own eyes. Testimonies, Volume 9, page 11. And here's what the angel showed her. She was in New York City and she had a vision. And she says, on one occasion, when the new, new, oh, there must be, okay. Uh, on page 11, she says, the condition of things of the world show that troublesome times are right upon us. Men possessed of demons are taking the lives of men, women, and ch little children. And then she says, on one occasion, uh, when in New York City, I was in a night vision or dream. She says, a night season, but that's what it was, a vision or dream. I was called upon to behold buildings rising story after story toward heaven. These villains were warned to be fireproof. This is interesting, the detail that she had. They had certified, the engineer certified a fully loaded 707 four engine, could fly into the twin tower. They got lost in the fog, could fly into the towers. It would not bring down the towers. That was certified. And it's interesting that she mentions that. She mentions buildings, plural. Then she mentions that three different times in the book. She mentions that they were warned to be fireproof. And they were erected to glorify the owners and builders higher and still higher. These buildings rose and in them the most costly material was used. And then she say the scene that next passed before me was the alarm of fire. Men looked at those lofty, supposedly fireproof buildings and said they are perfectly safe. But these buildings were consumed as made of pitch. The firemen could not do nothing to save the engines. The firemen were unable to operate the engines. We lost 98 engines, fire engines, and 340 firemen, I think, in, in that event. So uh, it gives a little credibility to the fact the Bible says in the last days, I think we're in the last days, that, that God is going to pour out his spirit, and there are going to be prophets that are going to uh, have dreams and visions. Here, if Saturn was placed where our moon is, that's what Saturn would look like. Would that be cool? Didn't mean to hit the wrong button here. How would you like to see a sunrise, a sunset or a sunrise? Rings go up 75,000 miles. Can you imagine watching a sunrise or sunset ripple through rings going up 75,000 miles? The Bible says, eye has not seen, our ear hasn't heard, hasn't even entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. Once again, God loves rings. We can get homesick for heaven. Do you know that we found rings all over the place now? Even Betelgeuse, that one star, shoulder star in Orion, that has rings that are so big. So if you were to drive across there at 1,000, it would take you about 20,000 years to drive across the rings of Betelgeuse. If you had a freeway, it's got rings. We now discover rings around our sun. Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune have rings. God loves rings. 
and we have no idea what he has in store for us. There's Jupiter. If you could see Jupiter from uh, where, our, if it was where our moon is, that's what Jupiter would look like. And so here's our Milky Way guy. We think this is kind of like what the Milky Way looks like. Okay, and our sun is located out here. Well, our sun is out about two-thirds of the way out from the center in what's known as the Orion arm of the Milky Way galaxy. To give you an idea, this thing is huge. If you traveled over here to decide to make a phone call, living on the other side, get, get over there and get your phone out, radio waves, those phone waves are traveling 186,000 miles every time, every second. Every time you snap your finger, 186,000. I had a Dodge truck, it took me 10 years to put 186,000 miles on. At the speed of light, boom, there it is, okay, get the idea. It's going to take 100,000 years to get the phone to ring back here in Charleston. Now, if mama says hello, it's going to be 200,000 years before you hear the hello. Hardly a stimulating conversation. <laughs> I know some teenagers like it, I called home, nobody answered, right? <laughs> Okay, so it's, a, it's about, our Milky Way is a, a roughly about 100 light years across. Do you know the difference between a regular year and a light year? A light years have just less calories, that's all. <laughs> okay, so when we look around the galaxy, we see this terminology, okay, galaxy is like a hurricane of stars, okay, 100, 200 billion stars in orbit around the core, and the center, these stars in the center, they're just screaming around. We see stars in the center going around the galaxy 20, 30, 40, 50 years. The outside stars may take them 100 million years. They're so far out to make a trip around, but in the center, so they're all trying to orbit the center. What is the center? We don't know. I could talk about black holes. But when we look around the galaxy, we see cluster, we see stars that, uh, okay, uh, are what we call constellations. We have 88 of them. And they're basically stars that you could make a stick figure about, like the Big Dipper and stuff like that. And then we see nebula. I already mentioned we have four different types of nebula in the Milky Way. So that's kind of where we're at in the universe. And uh, here's another beautiful galaxy, another statement that he has worlds upon worlds that give him divine honor. Heaven uh, and heaven and all the universe would be just as happy if he had left this world to perish. But so great was his love for the fallen race that he gave his own dear son to die that they might be redeemed from eternal death. Now I showed you the picture of zooming in to those galaxies. You know, Jesus created it all. And he sustained it all. And she tells us he travels from star to star. He supplies every need of that universe with his power. So he made it all, he created it all, he stained it all, and then he left it all to come down here to live the life that we couldn't. Here is the Omega Cluster. There are 10 million stars. How would you like to name the stars? He calls them all by their names. This is the Omega Cluster, which is about 10 million stars. The Hubble's going to zoom in on that. And then it's going to create a video. The Hubble watched these stars for four years. And in four years, it can project their motion over the next 10,000 years. And I want to show you that video clip here. Uh, Come on, Windows 10. I hate Windows 10. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. 
it's there, somewhere under that arrow, if it'll just load up. Last time I checked it, it worked. It's not working now. Anybody know what I'm doing wrong? Um, I don't think this is going to help us here. Well, you'll have to take my word for it, I guess. I don't know. I don't really think this is going to help over here. No, I don't think this is going to be the one we want. No. Um. I might have I might have a DVD here with it on there. I don't know. It's quite an amazing. No, I don't have it here. Well, you'll have to take my word for it, I guess. It just doesn't say yes. Click on the arrow. Clicking twice, clicking three times. It's still not I don't know what the deal is. Okay, well, I'll, I'll describe it for you. Um, the Hubble watched these, these stars that you see on the screen, and it, it, it shows them all moving. You don't see any crashing into themselves. Over the next 10,000 years, this video clip shows how they will move. And then it shows our sun. Our sun has taken the planets, Jupiter, Saturn, all the planets are going with our sun, and it's got a wobble to it. For instance, just imagine uh, this ball is Jupiter. My hand is the sun. This is gravity. Jupiter, sun, gravity. Watch my hand wobble. Okay. When the Jupiter goes around the sun, Jupiter moves the sun a half a million miles. Looking at our sun, going around the Milky Way, if you were, you know, if Jupiter, let's say, was going like this, you would expect our sun to see it move around the galaxy, something like that. Actually, Jupiter is moving the sun. Every two and a half years, it's going to go up a quarter of a million miles, then two and a half years, it's going to come back down to this baseline, and then it's going to drop down. So Jupiter, excuse me, as our sun goes around the galaxy, it's got a sine wave every 10 years. Jupiter's going around every 10 years. It's got a sine wave like this every 10 years. When Saturn and Jupiter go around, then every 29 years, Jupiter, Saturn goes around every 29 years, so what happens, we have a double sine wave, so this Jupiter sine wave, then every 29 years we have Saturn moving in another quarter, almost 400,000 miles. So we got the sun moving around the galaxy with the signs, sine waves, and then if you look like, uh, okay, so let's look at the Jupiter sine wave. Assuming the sun's going, the moon's going around, Jupiter's going around this way. Mercury goes around every 88 days, so you're going to have a little, every, Mercury's going to move the sun 300 miles every 88 days, so superimposed upon that sine wave, you've got that, Mercury's going to move it, uh, Venus is going to move it, did I say Mercury? Mercury every 88 days, Venus is going to move it 500 days every 254, so every 254 days, Venus is going to have a sine wave on Jupiter's sine wave, Earth's going to move it 300 miles, we've got sine wave upon sine wave as our sun moves around the galaxy. Now, what's interesting, I was sitting in a lecture on 
the University of Oklahoma, and this professor was talking about the lecture was on gravity. And I got choked up on gravity. Because what he said was, when we have three bodies that are different masses, Saturn, Jupiter, the sun, going around orbit, it's called the very center of the sun. He said, there's no mathematician on Earth that can write a formula for the center of the sun's motion. When you have three bodies, it's called the three-body problem. Nobody can write a formula for that. And so I got home, I emailed him, I said, Professor, before I repeat this in public, did I hear you correctly? He said, yes, go to Wikipedia three-body problem. Since Isaac Newton, 330 years ago, even Albert Einstein cannot write a formula for how the sun moves around our galaxy with all these sine waves. What blew me away, I've been showing people this picture of all these stars moving. Einstein can't give you a formula for three. We've got 100 billion, they're all moving. God's got it all figured out, and Einstein can't write a formula for three. You see a God in that. Yes, an awesome God, I'll tell you. Our God is, it just, I, I just get blown away. I get more blown away the more I learn. I was looking here. I'm going to take a side note here. I have a kernel of corn in my pocket. I've been looking for a couple of years on the internet. How is it this thing can be in a pyramid for 4,000 years and grow? Your car has an alternator in your car. You've got an alternator, your alternator dies, you're dead in an hour. If you've got AC, you're gone in an hour. How could that little seed be in a pyramid for 4,000 years? A physicist, I just asked a guy with a PhD in biology, do you know how you can jumpstart that seed? The seed's got an alternator called ATP. You got an ATP motor in there, you got in a corner, you've got two billion letter codes, you got two billion chemicals represented by two billion letter codes in your DNA, and a motor, ATP motors. The ATP provides the energy to read the DNA, to copy the DNA, to replicate the DNA. How do you jumpstart an ATP motor that's been sitting in a pyramid for 4,000 years? Nobody knows. I checked the internet. The guy was just met a PhD, a teacher, biology teacher. Do you know? Well, you put it in the ground, you put some water on it, you know. Yes, I mean, this is, as God just blows me away. I'm so blown away every time I discover something new. I got a call from Georgia, a doctor in Georgia. We've been talking back and forth, and he says, go read Christ's Object Lesson, page 63. The answer is in Christ's Object, and she says, electricity must be conveyed to the buried seed. Christ's Object is 63. The PhDs don't know, but she knew 150 years ago. Then go Google the magnetic effects, the, effects, the magnetic effects on seed germination, they have now discovered if you put a magnetic field over a seed, it germinates half the time. Instead of three, seven, five to seven days, three days, you got a seed germination. But there was the answer. That little, you see that little ATP motor, that has got to produce the energy to, to get this thing going, to, to, to wake it up, <laughs> to jump start it. You can jump start that with the magnet. And it's probably the sun, my conclusion is that solar wind induces radio, you know, electricity and so forth into this, the earth. And that's probably it. But I mean, this kind of stuff, I didn't, wasn't going to tell you that, but it just like blows me away when I see what an awesome God we have. Now, this picture was taken. The Hubble took this picture in the north uh, of the sky. And uh, it, it took this picture and a little speck of the sky in the north, like you looking through a straw, okay? That little tiny speck of the sky, the Hubble went for 83 uh, hours a time exposure, see, way, way out in space, 83, and those 83 hours, it got 
about 20,000 galaxies. You see fuzzy little, there's a few stars here. Looking out of the galaxy, there's a star, there's a star, but the rest of these are galaxies. 83 hours to look way, way, way out in space. It got 20,000 galaxies in that picture through a little straw. How many pictures would you have to take if you're going to take a picture of the whole sky? About 27 million pictures. 27 million pictures, okay? You picture 27, 20,000 galaxies, how big is God? Well, when I look at that, I think, well, we have, what are we going to do in heaven? What's your name? Lisa. Lisa? What are you going to do when you get to heaven, Lisa? We'd like to travel. You're going to, you could have a chance. Here's what God could say, Lisa. Uh, what I, we're going to serve him. The Bible says in Revelation that, uh, in Revelation 22, and they shall be no more cursed there, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. We're going to serve God. So what the Lord could say, Lisa, what I want you to do, I'm going to assign you, you're going to get this little speck of the universe is your responsibility. I want you to go out there and keep an eye on all those 20,000 galaxies. In fact, I want you to check out just one galaxy at a time. I want you to do is to cover all the stars on this galaxy, and you're going to get a lot of frequent flyer miles because the Bible says from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me. You're going to have to come back to the twinkling of an eye or the speed of thought. And, uh, but what I want you to do is spend six days on each star on the screen. Now, to cover the stars on the screen is going to take you about 14,737,000,000 years to cover the stars on the screen. Okay, and now you've got 19,999 more galaxies. You think you're going to get bored in heaven? Isaac Isamoff, the famous sci-fi writer, says, I do not believe in the afterlife, therefore I do not worry about the tortures of hell, or even worse, the boredom of heaven. I don't think you're going to get bored in heaven because of what God can do. You're getting homesick for heaven. Human language is inadequate to describe the reward of the righteous. It will be known only to those who behold it. No finite man can comprehend the glory of paradise of God. Look at here. The angel showed her, if you're faithful, you and the 144,000 shall have the privilege of visiting all the worlds and viewing the handiwork of God. How many worlds? All the worlds. You see, what, what did I tell you earlier? Kepler says they think there's, what, 50 million in our Milky Way galaxy? And that's one out of 200 billion galaxies. I don't think you're going to get bored in heaven. This was from our program we did on attributes. We did 21 attributes of God, and I just have two pictures here. But this Google Diamond Star, this is kind of interesting. Uh, HD 97048 has 100,000 to a million trillion tons of diamonds. Carbon, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory says the carbon, the temperature, the pressure, everything's right there, and it may be solid diamonds. And the Bible tells us God is rich in mercy, in grace, in kindness, tolerance, patience. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Here's another one, BPM. 37093 diamond star, and this one has a hundred billion trillion carats of diamonds. Hundred billion. This is Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Streets of gold, gates of pearl. No problem for the Lord, right? Okay. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. There you got two eight. Our precious Savior trod the weary, sandy trails of old Palestine that we might walk the tireless feet on the golden streets of the new Jerusalem. In him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his, God's grace. Here is an eruption on the sun. 
uh, going out like about 10 million miles. I'd just be glad it wasn't headed our way. This, uh, this circle shows you the size of the sun. This is a disk that covers it so that we can see the effects there. And here's a comet hitting the sun. Uh, we have to put the disk over it, otherwise we wouldn't get enough contrast. It would wipe it out. But look at this, look at this comet hitting the sun. Uh, this is the biggest one I've seen. We have, had, we have this uh, pretty much on a regular basis. A couple years ago, we had 21 comets that disintegrated into the sun in one month. Um, probably skinning the top of the Probably It really couldn't, I don't think, go through all the way through the sun. It probably took a, a skinning the top of the bottom of the sun, causing that huge eruption. Uh, my wife, Dad, and I were in Australia. And I have, for years, had a solar telescope to look at the sun. And we took a telescope with us. To, we did camp meeting in Australia and took a telescope along. When we got there, this eruption is the biggest I have ever seen in that solar. I mean, we're talking 100 over probably 100,000 miles, maybe 150,000 miles. Just a gorgeous eruption. And, uh, and it hung around long enough so that people could see it. But talk about the sun a little bit. This flare would reach, is big enough to reach to the moon. And, uh, the sun has got unbelievable power. The power of the sun is, is unbelievable. I want to illustrate that here. You know, every second of the day, the sun cranks out enough energy to run Earth's needs for half a million years. Every second, there's a million years, there's a million and a half, there's two million years. Every second of the day, enough run energy to run Earth for a half a million miles. You see, we're 93 million miles away. We just get a little sliver from the sun. Just a little sliver gets here at 93 million. It's radiating in every direction. Seems like a waste. Mom used to say, she's born in the barn, shut the lights off, you know. I mean, it's just think about it. It's just cranking out all this energy, and all we get is a little sliver. But it puts out enough. How often do you go to the gas station with your car? 300 miles, 350? How come we never take the sun to the gas station? It's going for billions of years. There's enough energy to go for billions of years. Where does that power come from? And you saw the stars, 100, 200 billion there in Milky Way galaxy. Where does that power come from? It seems like a waste. They're all cranking out all this energy. Well, naturally, science pick it, picked up on this. You see, if we could just figure out how the sun works, it would solve our energy problems, Earth's energy problem. We could just create a sun on Earth. Here's what she says. Our Heavenly Father has hung out his glories in the firmament of the heavens that men may have an expression of his love revealing of his wondrous works. God would not have us indifferent to the symbols of the glorious of his infinite power in the heavens. Infinite power. That certainly fits, doesn't it? So, scientists are going, to, all we got to do is, if we could create a sun on earth, it'd solve our energy problems. It'd be the end of it. Okay? But how do you plug your toaster into a hydrogen bomb? It's great for blowing stuff up. Hydrogen is just so powerful, man. It's great for making bombs. It's great for blowing. But how do you harness something with so much power? How do you harness that? Well, the French are doing it one way. I don't have time to go into that. But uh, uh, somebody says, hey, you know what? If we could make a sun the size of the head of a match, we could learn how to make a sun. We'll make a sun the size of a head of a mat. We can control that. So this is exactly what Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory is doing. We gave them $20 billion, thousands of scientists. They have made a sun no bigger, hydrogen sun, 
bomb, no bigger than the head of a match. And they say, this is 50 years. We need a, it may be 30 years before we can turn the switch. We need 50 years to learn how to make a sun. It'll solve our energy problems. Solve our energy problems. So here's what they're doing. And this is happening in Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California. We gave them $20 billion. This is the facility that's going to take to do that, okay? And here, what they're doing, this is a laser, okay? This is a laser. They're amplifying, you take 192 lasers, they're amplifying them one quadrillion times. The temperature of the core of the sun. They're amplifying lasers at the temperature of the core of the sun. 192 of them. They have to, each one has to go through one mile of amplification. And there you see the little men here. You see it's a pretty big, pretty big thing. And then they're going to focus them on this capsule. And uh, of course, they don't want to melt California off the map, so we need a lot of steel and cement, right? to conduct this experiment. Here's the little capsule compared to a human eye. And that little ceramic capsule is going to get the bead of heavy hydrogen in there, and then they're going to focus 190, and they're doing it, 192 lasers are going to go in there. So here it is, and they focus 192 lasers, but they can only leave it on for 20 trillionths of a second. They're firing these lasers at just 20 trillionths of a second, then they wait eight hours, okay, to cool down. They fire three times a day. Boom, eight hours, boom, eight hours, boom. But hey, give them some space here, give, cut them some slack. This is a 50-year project to learn how to make a sun to solve our energy problems. The sun has got all this energy. You with me on that? Every second of the day, enough to run our Earth for 500,000 years? Naturally, they're going to figure out how to do it if they can, possibly do it. So 20 trillion, in other words, to leave it on for one full second, they'll have to fire this thing 20 trillion times. They leave it on for 20 trillionths of a second, wait eight hours, okay? And they made a sun. They actually put in, we'll see here, okay? At that moment, it was 100 million degrees C. Okay, they fired, and this is about three, four years ago, they fired 192 lasers into that capsule. They put 10,000 joules of energy into that capsule. They got 17,000 out. Hey, we've proven the sun works. We created a sun in the lab. Okay? What did I do with my matches? I love visual aids. <laughs> okay? So here's what we did. Twenty billion dollars, thousands of scientists created a sun the size of the head of a match and we got 7,000 joules out of this. We proved it works. But how many joules did it take to run those amplifiers? 192 miles of amplifiers? Well, it took 500 trillion joules to get a 7,000 joule gain. And headlines went around the world. Wall Street Journal, a star is born. We did it, look at this. Huge breakthrough, the news from the National Ignition Facility, a star is born, US scores a fusion power breakthrough. The Wall Street Journal, news flash went around the world, a fusion power breakthrough. We actually made a sun, folks. <laughs> folks, this is the glory of man. Is that sun big? Is that sun hot? Is that sun powerful? Is that sun bright? Folks, here's the glory of man. Look what God says. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not share my glory with anyone else. Yes. 
Here's the glory of man. $20 billion, thousands of scientists, highly educated people. Here's the glory of man. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not share my glory with anyone else. Another statement from scripture. By wisdom, the Lord made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. Wisdom. You think those guys are highly educated, those thousands of scientists with PhDs, degrees? I guess we could say, by wisdom and $20 billion, 2,000 scientists made a sun the size of a head of a match. But there's more to this story, folks. Because when they say that in the Big Bang was created hydrogen, helium, deuterium, tritium, trace amounts of beryllium, and they look at the sun and they go, oh, it doesn't have hydrogen, helium, tritium, trace amounts of beryllium. Uh, I'm saying it too fast. They look at the Big Bang where they say the Big Bang caused the sun. It all came from there. And they look at the sun and they go, it doesn't match. The two don't match. Because the sun doesn't have heavier elements. So, you know what, look it up. You know what they will tell you? That we had to kickstart the sun with heavier elements by exploding stars. Multiple supernovas to kickstart the sun. Where did those stars come from? Yeah. Okay, multiple supernovas. We know in supernova explosion this, this, that we have heavier elements. And they're saying, okay, to get this, we had to kickstart the sun with passing nearby supernova eruptions that would contribute the heavier elements that we see in the sun that don't match the Big Bang. That's one problem. Another problem, uh, there are a couple other problems. Well, the Bible says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now, these people don't believe in God, that these scientists there, you know what they would say, that well, how our sun was formed, we had gravity that pulled hydrogen gas together, and spin it and condense it, spin it and condense it, spin it and condense it, until it got, reached a temperature of 100 million degrees, Hydrogen gas at those temperatures become a sun. They fuse together to form helium. Hydrogen atoms form together, fuse together to form helium, and voila, we have the miracle of the sun. So they say in space we had, we had all this gravity that pulled this gas together. Basic problems, gas fills the room. The law, well, laws of gas, if I had a bottle of perfume before we leave, everybody would smell it. It expands to fill its chamber. This gas expands. But there's a no gravity pulled it together. The next problem is uh, 460 below zero in space. They've got to get to 100 million degrees to get this sun to form. And so these scientists spend their life, all this education, PhD, all these degrees, PhD, whatever, and they go like, you know, on the sun, everything was just right, it just happened. Gravity and high, all this gas, it just happened. Oh, you know what, we got 200 billion in the Milky Way. 200 billion times everything was just right, it just, happens, but folks, this is all we can do. The glory of man. This is all we can do, but oh, we have another, we have 200 billion galaxies. Each 200 billion galaxies have 100, 200 billion stars, 200 billion times 200 billion. Everything was just right. It just happened, but this is what, all we can do with $20 billion and all of our education. This is the glory of man. Okay, let's move along. A different direction. This is exciting. I'm flying out of SeaTac, Seattle, Tacoma, last fall. And I got my computer out working on my next sermon. And the guy sitting next to me goes like, uh, oh, you're doing a seminar? I said, yeah. And he says, what's a seminar? And I says, well, it's astronomy in the Bible. Well, he's a science teacher. And he says, how do you put astronomy together with the Bible? And I said, well, do you believe in God? And he goes like, uh, you know. 
So I said, well, let me show you. So he got a three, I mean, this is a three-hour flight. He got the full dose. I mean, you're, you're only going to get part of it here. I'll give you a couple, few points we made with him. I showed him this last galaxy, this farthest galaxy, and I said, they say that's 13.7 billion light years away. Can you comprehend a light year, six trillion miles? Can you comprehend 13, yeah, billion, 13 billion? Can you comprehend, you can't comprehend that, okay? You know what the Bible says in Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great God's mercy is. You cannot comprehend how great God's mercy is because you cannot comprehend 13.7 billion light years. Then I said, can you comprehend how far the east is from the west? Because the Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. And so then we looked at a few more, few more pictures. I said, do you think you can count the sand on the beaches? And I said, you know, in Jeremiah 33, 22, Genesis 22, the Bible says the sands of the seashore cannot be counted, neither the stars of the heavens. And when that was written, you see, our scientists, they had counted the stars. They knew before the telescope that there were about 6,000 stars you could see with the naked eye. Okay, and I told them, I said, you know, there must have been people wanting to put Jeremiah in a mental institution. Jeremiah, don't you keep up with Guinness Book of World Records? Well, we've counted the stars, Jeremiah. Or don't you read Scientific America? We, we know there's 6,000. You say like you're crazy, guy. You are crazy. Because today, scientists quoting Jeremiah from over 3,000 years ago. Scientists and more than one have said, if you take all the sand on all the beaches of Earth, that's roughly equivalent to all the stars in the known universe. So the Bible had it right thousands of years ago. This guy teaches this stuff, okay? He teaches science. And, and, I mean, he was blown away, you know, at, that 3,000 years ago you could talk about things that are relevant today. There's a scripture, I will make the descendants of David my servants and the Levites who ministered before me as countless as the stars of sky and measureless as the sands of the seashore. And then I showed him this. This is a scripture here that has an, it, well, we'll get to Job 38. Uh, the Bible talks about our tourists. Job 38, 31. The Bible says, God said to Job, can you guide Arcturus? Well, we know Arcturus is a runaway star. Arcturus is traveling through our galaxy, and it has not yet collided with another star. The implication is God is guiding Arcturus. But the scripture, what does the scripture say? Can you guide Arcturus with its suns? What does that mean? Well, look at here. If you go, here's the scripture. God had four questions here for Job. Can you bind the Pleiades, loose the belts of Orion, or guide Arcturus with its sons? If you Google Arcturan stream, you will discover, here's what it says, Arcturus is part of the Arcturan stream, a group of ancient stars which move in a different angle and a greater speed than any other stars, other stars in our galaxy. Scientifically accurate statement, right? Can you, implication is God is guiding our tourists. And so he was getting more blown away all the time before we went. And then the, uh, this is Orion, uh, the, the belt of Orion here. We have starred, we have traced these three stars are traveling at high speeds to other, they're, they're very fast moving stars. They've gone to three other constellations in different directions. You see, one of the questions that God had to Job can you loose the belts of Orion? So maybe that's what God was talking about. Or bind the Pleiades. You know, the Pleiades, the seven sisters, are actually, we see them like a naked eye seven, but there's about 500 there. 
And they're bound together like a flock of birds. They're moving to the east at 90,000 miles an hour like a flock of birds. And God said to Job, can you bind the Pleiades? Can you loose the belts of Orion? Can you guide Arcturus? And then can you bring forth the Meseroth of the constellation? It was all part of that question God had for Job. But let's, let's move along. So then I said, you know, they used to think the earth was the center of the universe. We're the center, geocentric. Everything goes around the earth. We are the center. The Bible had that correct, too. Because the ancient Sumerians and cultures used to put a roller and seal a letter, seal with a roller. And talking about the earth, it, Job 38, 13 says, it is turned like clay to the seal. So the Bible tells us the earth is turning, not the universe going around us, but the earth is turning like clay to the seal. And then we, they debated whether the air has, doesn't feel like the air has got any weight until he invented the barometer. The Bible had that true or correct too when he gave the winds a weight in Job 38. Then it talks about one star is different from another star in glory, 1 Corinthians 15, 41. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon. The Bible tells us one star differs from another star in glory. There's our scripture. So you see the Bible actually comes through with scientific stuff. Here uh, we, we, we pass starlight through a prism and we look at the spectral lines. These are the lines of our sun and uh, actually, Sirius, four different stars, Eldebron and Betelgeuse stars. You see the different fingerprints. Every star has, so to speak, a different fingerprint, spectral lines, the elements that are present there. Then our science teacher got a dose of biology. After we gave him, and that was not an hour and a half worth of astronomy I gave you there, but at this point it was time to talk about biology, and I pull out my trusty little pen. On the head of this pencil is a pin, stick pin. And I said to him, you realize when you were conceived that you could fit on the head of that pin. Do you realize that little cell when you started life on this earth that you could fit on there? Do you realize, you see on the screen six, well, we have six billion letter codes. You see one page out of millions of pages. But you could fit on there. Do you realize that little cell could copy six billion letter codes in 30 hours? You're on here, okay? At a keyboard, if you're going to copy all the information in every cell in your body, and, well, you only need one cell. If you were going to copy this at a keyboard, it's a whole life. You're looking 50 years. At a keyboard, it's going to take you 50 years to type out your DNA. That cell can do it in 30 hours. You see a God in that? If you're at a keyboard, would you be making mistakes? Uh, see, I should go to the next picture because here he is. Here he is on the head of the pin, okay? Well, your cells make mistakes too. Your cells will make 100,000 to a million mistakes. Every replication in copying those 6 billion articles, you could have up to 1 million mistakes in your DNA. But good news is God has put a spell checker. Do you ever notice on your computer when you try to type, you put in a too many letters or don't put a comma in, boom, you got a spell checker. I can fix that. I can fix that. I can fix that. It fix it. It's there and it's gone. It's there and it's gone. It's there and the gone. Same thing happens in your DNA. You got a spell checker in your DNA. The spell checker, I can fix that. I can fix that. I can fix it. Then there's time the spell checker goes, we got a problem. And it calls in an army of genes. You have 50 genes that are there to repair the mistakes. Why do you make mistakes? Why does your cells make mistakes? Because we live in a polluted world, because of free radicals, because of carcinogenic stuff we put in our body, because you didn't get enough sleep, you didn't drink enough water, didn't get enough exercise. 
All those things are going to affect your cells' ability to replicate, to copy your DNA. All those things, because we live in this world of pollution. But the good news is, we have got a spell checker. Now, I said to this guy, you realize that that cell can copy those six billion letter codes in 30 hours. Do you realize it took our scientists 13 years? We had 200 labs. We had about 5,000 supercomputers in 13, in 200 labs, took them 13 years. Took our scientists 13 years to sequence the human genome with 5,000 supercomputers, thousands of scientists, 13 years to sequence. That cell can copy it in 30 hours. But that's only a little piece of the story because what has got to happen, actually, in 30 hours, we have to divide that by 10, by threes. Okay, here's the army. You've got 50 genes. I'll show you the genes actually coming up. You've got 50 genes that are there to fix the problem. So what has to happen, first of all, this cell has, first of all, to copy the DNA. So let's give it 10 hours. Now we've got it down to 10 hours. Instead of 30 hours, the cell's got 10 hours to copy it. Okay, this spell checker will give him 10 hours to go through 6 billion letter codes and find the mistake. Can you believe that? To find a mistake in there. He's got 10 hours. And then we'll give the army 10 hours to fix it, to repair the mistakes. So now you realize in 30 hours, three things have to happen. You've got to copy 6 billion letter codes. You've got to go through and proofread 6 billion letter codes. Then you've got to fix any up to a million mistakes. Do you see a guy? This guy was so blind. <laughs> he knew what I was saying. He teaches this stuff. He knew. He was with me the whole way. He knew what I was saying. He goes, man, I never thought about that. You see a God in that? Well, here's our amoeba. Supposedly, evolution evolved from some little, you know, <laughs> billions of creatures all evolved from this warm little pond with the amoeba, right? through mistakes in copying the DNA. Evolution says it made mistakes, and that's how everything has evolved. Maybe the amoeba has stronger babies, maybe has more babies, you know, lots of babies, stronger babies, whatever, and then natural selection will take the strongest one, and that's how we've got 4 million, 10 million creatures on Earth, and 20,000 herbs and spices, 30,000 edible foods all came from that amoeba. You, you know, you put that corn in the ground for a million years, you're still going to have corn. It's not going to turn into a mango, right? <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh. So here's this amoeba. He's bored to death, and we're just about done, folks. Won't be long. This amoeba, I don't know how, when I'm supposed to sit down, but he'll tell me, I guess. This amoeba's in this warm, and he's just bored to death. He can't see, and he doesn't have fins. He can't swim. He's just totally bored to death, but he's smart. This is the Einstein amoeba. He is smart. So he goes to his computer and he Googles up eyeballs. He wants to see. He discovers if you got this mutation, RPE 065, that you're born blind. And so he goes, oh, wow, there's the answer to evolution. All I've got to do is put this mutation, fix this mutation, or put the 6 billion, 200,000 letter codes into my DNA, and I'm, I can see. I can evolve with eyesight, right? Okay, with me, guess what happens? What's going to happen when the amoeba tries to do that to his DNA? The spell checker goes, whoa! You are an amoeba. I can fix that. You can't evolve. Do you see how evolution can't happen because of the spell checkers looking for mistakes in the mutation? Mutation is the only answer evolution has. Mutating, making mistakes, and copying those letter codes, that's the only way evolution can happen, but we got a spell checker that's going to fix it. I can fix that, I can fix that, I can fix that. That amoeba's never come out of that pond. 
He needs 6,200,000 beneficial mistakes. He's never coming out of that pond. So evolution can't happen. This guy, I mean, he was, that's, that's the dose, that's part of the three-hour flight, okay? You get the idea, though, all right? <laughs> okay, so we're headed in a different direction. We're winding it down. It's something is, is really interesting because the Bible talks about in, in, in uh, Daniel 12, 1, it says, But thou, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge will be increased. You know, that scripture, knowledge, men will run to and fro, and knowledge will be increased. Do you realize if we look from the history of mankind from Adam to Paul Revere, it was pretty flat line. They travel on animals, right? Pretty much donkeys and horses, Paul Revere, the midnight ride. The mode of communication didn't change much from Adam to Paul Revere. He spoke with a midnight cry. He didn't have a megaphone or a, a cell phone. It was a midnight cry to Paul Revere. Then do you realize we went from Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, to the moon in 60 years? The Bible says knowledge will be increased. From 1903, in 60 years, we were on the moon. Knowledge will be increased. Men will run to and fro. And yes, we did go to the move. I could prove it. We don't have time, but I could prove it. We got pictures now. NASA's taking pictures. So 60 years. 60 years. From Paul Revere to the moon. The Bible says knowledge will be increased. Men will run to and fro. I have a little. This is a wonderful. You want to share something with witnessing to your neighbors and friends. This is a wonderful, wonderful little booklet. Bible study. I have 25 lessons in here. And this is a, from the United Prison Ministries. And this little book made a missionary in one week. A guy came, we we're selling my business, downsizing, getting ready to retire. And he came to buy our forklift and he had drove from Colorado Springs like 80, 75 miles. And uh, paid me for the forklift and says, uh, well, enjoy your retirement. I said, well, I'm not really retired because I have a daily television show on astronomy and the Bible. And here's a sample. I gave him the video sample. So he came the next day with his trailer to get the forklift. And he said, my wife and I watched uh, your video last night. And he says, uh, in fact, we got done. I told my wife, we have got to get our butt back to church after watching astronomy programs. And then he said, I have diabetes. Now, why would you tell a perfect stranger you got diabetes, except he's, the Lord says, tell me you got diabetes because he's got videos on diabetes. So I said, would you give me your address? I want to mail you. I didn't have, sitting around there, written four of them. I want to mail you the four videos on diabetes, and I sent him this little Bible study guide, 25 lessons. You can get it from UPMI for a dollar. And then... I mailed him the videos and the little flyer. Then I called him a week later, did you get the videos? And he says, oh, that was, that was so nice of you to do that. But he says, let me tell you, my wife and I have been doing the lessons in the back. Filling out the lessons, he said, could I get copies of this for my family? Now, how many do you need? I, I'd like to get about 10 copies of this for my family. You realize this guy is the type, type of Christian he is. Maybe you say, well, uh, you're, oh, he's a Christian. Yeah. When do you go to church? Well, let's see. It was either Easter or Christmas. That kind of a Christian, okay? <laughs> now, in one week, he's a missionary. Now, after learning what he's learning from this, he wants his whole family of 10 people to learn what he's learning. So it's, it's exciting. United Prison Ministry, look over there. It's a dollar piece. It's a wonderful witnessing tool. Our 
Grease Monkey Man on Colfax Avenue in Lakewood has passed this year alone 90 of these. We put a sticker on the back, call our pastor if you want prayer, if you want a question for the pastor. Uh, and uh, he puts them on his reading table, free, take me home, you know. There's a wonderful little witnessing, witnessing tool I want to tell you about. Now we're, we're just about done here. I think we've got a little bit to go here. Okay. The Bible says the gospel... In Matthew 24, in Matthew 24 it says famines and pestilence and earthquake, but the end is not yet. And then in verse 14, the gospel goes and then the end will come. Do you realize that there are today 5 million Muslims will download the gospel from AWR and 10 million Chinese will be downloading the gospel from AWR. I see the gospel going and we could go into that a little greater. Uh, but the, something to wind this thing up for many, the Bible says, will come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Matthew 24, 5. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, would deceive the very elect. This is the, the Lucifer telescope owned by the Vatican looking for an alien savior. You can look it up and read about it. The Vatican expects to find an alien savior. This is an infrared telescope, the biggest binocular telescope. The Lucifer is an acronym for the instrument, the instruments on the instrument. The Lucifer telescope, you can look it up. See the little man, you see how big this thing is? They're looking for an alien savior. And in the interest of time, I'm going to move along here. But it's interesting, if you look, Great Controversy 624, it says, fearful sights of a supernatural nature will soon be revealed in the heavens. They are looking for, a Luci for an a, a alien savior that will be able to explain the Bible. They're closer to God, we're sinners. They're closer to God, will be able to explain the Bible to you. If you don't listen to them, you'll be a heretic. If you, you can research this a little bit. Uh, the shout of triumph rings upon the air, airwaves. Christ has come, Christ has come. Persons will arise pretending to be Christ himself and claiming the title of worship that belongs to the world's redeemer. They will perform wonderful miracles of healing and will profess to have revelations from heaven contradicting the testimony of scripture. And I'm going to move on along it because our time is going fast. To wind it up, I want to talk about the cross a little bit of Christ. You know, when, when Jesus knew the Bible, we, we know how well he knew the Bible, hanging on the cross, and everybody left him. Everybody rejected him. His disciples said, well, we'd hoped that it had been him. And he couldn't see through the tomb. And I'm thinking about the different scriptures that might have been going through his mind as he hung on the cross, alone, alone, as a human. Oh, he longed to hear some words of comfort as a human. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's so many scriptures that probably could have been going through his mind. Let's look at them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have cried desperately for help, but still no one comes. Your eyes are too holy to look at evil. Your eyes are too pure to look at evil. You cannot watch wickedness. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you look the other way? But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Why, O oh Lord, do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? You cannot stand the sight of people doing wrong. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. You see, the whole sin of the world was on Christ. And when God looked upon Christ, he saw the sins of the world, the offering that he was giving for all of us. And why do you hide your face from me? Consider me as your enemy. All these things could have very well been going through Christ's mind as he hung alone, suffering. Uh, 
uh, on the cross longing for some, some comfort, some encouragement, yet we considered him punished by God. And so I am in despair. I looked for sympathy, but there was none, no comforters, but I found no one. There is no, folks, I got dyslexia. You probably figured that already. There is no one nearby to comfort me, no one to revive my soul. For long hours, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? For long hours of agony, when do minutes seem like, I can imagine in his suffering, minutes seem like hours. You ever see that? You wake up at 2 in the morning, and you can't go back to sleep, and an hour goes by, and you look, it's 2.10. Another hour goes by, and it's 2.20. You ever notice that? It's like, when is this, you know, when I get back to sleep? But you think of Christ's suffering on the cross. Minutes must have seemed like hours to him. Reviling and markering have fallen upon his ears of Jesus. As he hang upon the cross, there floats to him the sound of jeers and curses. With longing heart, he listens for some expression of faith from his disciples. They say, oh, we had hoped that it had been him, you know, to deliver Israel. How grateful then to the Savior was the utterance of faith and love from the dying thief. While the leading Jews denied him, even his disciples doubted his divinity, the poor thief upon the brink of eternity calls him Lord. Many were ready to call him Lord when he wrought miracles and after he had risen from the grave, but none acknowledged him as he hung dying upon the cross, save the penitent thief who was saved at the 11th hour. Well, it has been a full day, hasn't it? I hope you've been blessed with the music, with the messages from Pastor Richie Halverson, and uh, this wonderful presentation that Jim has shared with us this afternoon. You know, Jim, as you were talking, I was reminded of a, a song that was written by Stuart Hamlin, you know, some time ago. It's not a song that most of us know about, but Stuart Hamlin wrote the song, How Big Is God? How big and wide his vast domain. He's big enough to rule the mighty universe, yet small enough to live within my heart. That's, uh, that's really true, isn't it? When you look at the vastness of the universe and to realize that the God of the universe came down out of, out of all those multitude of worlds. You know, you can't travel in space and say, I've come to the end of it. I once saw a funny little video on, uh, it was an advertisement that this guy finished and he closed his computer down and he said, I'm finished. And the guy said, what are you finished with? I've read the whole internet. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's like that. You can't, you can't, you know, fathom the vastness and the expanse of the universe. I'm so glad that God loves you and me. And he's coming back soon and we're going to be with him for all eternity. Father, thank you so much for the spiritual food and the physical food, the fellowship, the knowledge that you have blessed us with. I pray we will use it in a good way that we may share your love with others, uplift you, and be refreshed. Thank you again for hearing our prayers and for your blessings 
In Jesus' name, amen.